Hello, sports fans, and welcome to Let Me Speak, the show that shares sports' biggest headlines explained, uninterrupted, and maybe a little audacious. I'm Joe Braverman, and today's topics we'll be discussing are the state of the NFL after Week 12 and making picks for Week 13, plus breaking down a hectic week of college football news ahead of Conference Championship Saturday. And analyzing the biggest deals during MLB free agency before the lockout. It's episode 50 of Let Me Speak, and it starts right now. everybody here on Thursday, December 2nd, 2021, the 50th, can you believe it, 50 episodes of Let Me Speak. Thank you, everyone. I say it over and over again, week after week, for all of you listening, watching. I fully appreciate your support. I absolutely love making this podcast, love talking sports, and we'll be talking sports with a special guest when we make our picks for the NFL, but... I got to say, since Thanksgiving, which, by the way, I hope everyone had a very happy and healthy Thanksgiving holiday, it's been nonstop news, let me tell you, from college football, the NBA, the MLB lockout. Like, it's been all over the place. But I figure we start with what's going on right now, and that's in the NFL, on the field, six weeks left into the regular season. And now playoff talk is getting more and more crucial. The hype is really there. And a couple of games last week and week 12 really stood out to me. And I think the first one obviously had to be the Bucs and the Colts. Tampa Bay beating Indianapolis 38-31. to And I got to say, watching it and watching some of the highlights, it was sloppy. It was high scoring, but it definitely was exciting. And Tom Brady beats Indianapolis yet again. Now to start on the indie side of things, I thought going into this game, this was a really good team, especially after their win in Buffalo. I thought Jonathan Taylor was basically the best running back in football with the absence of Derrick Henry. But the problem with the Colts are the Colts themselves. They can't get out of their own way. They had five turnovers against Tampa. And while the Tampa defense, which we'll talk about very shortly, is maybe not an elite defense, they still can make you pay for your mistakes. So five turnovers doesn't win any kind of game, especially for Indianapolis. I thought looking at the stat line, Jonathan Taylor needed to get involved a little bit more. He needed more touches, more actions. He only caught four balls for 14 yards, and he ran the ball 16 times for 83. So I think Indianapolis, you know, Carson Wentz isn't an elite quarterback, but if you've got a guy like Jonathan Taylor, that's going to be your offense right then and there. you got to get him involved. A lot more and if they want to get to the playoffs because right now they're sitting at six and six and they're on the outside looking in they're still a good team in my eyes but they just have to limit those mistakes and it starts with Carson Wentz at the quarterback position okay 300 yards passing three touchdowns are great but two interceptions is not going to make it happen for this indie team now defensively they're not what they were a year ago and what 
I think essentially carried him into the postseason. But it's all about just limiting those mistakes. And that's what Indianapolis has to do. Because Carson Wentz, we've seen when he's on his two feet and he's healthy, he can be a good quarterback. Maybe not an MVP candidate from his time with Philly, but he can still be a capable quarterback to get Indianapolis into the postseason. Do I think they can go a long way if they get into the postseason? Probably not. But still, with the kind of schedule that they have, they should be winning some of these games. And the fact that they even kept it close with Tom Brady and the Buccaneers says to me that Indianapolis can be a team when they don't get in their own way, essentially is like what I'm trying to get at, is that more action for Jonathan Taylor and limiting the mistakes. That's what gets Indy to go further in a wide open AFC. But on the other side of the ball, Tampa Bay, I think their defense, their special teams is a little suspect. I mean, they allowed almost 400 yards. You know, there was the kick return near the end after they had the go-ahead touchdown. The rush defense, looking at the numbers, they're tops in the NFL. So they're good at stopping the run, and they did a good job of limiting Taylor. But their pass defense is 20th in the league, 20th. And their corners, I understand they've been hurt. It's a lot of in and outs. But that pass defense is really something to watch out for. Because if you got guys like Carson Wentz putting 300 yards on you, how are you going to do against the Aaron Rodgers or the Lamar Jacksons or the Josh Allens of the NFL? Because offensively, they're not a problem. They're not a problem. Similar to Indianapolis, their quarterback is making mistakes. Tom Brady's thrown at least one pick in four straight games, and which is hard to believe considering all the weapons he's got. You know, Mike Evans is still there. Rob Gronkowski is healthy. Leonard Fournette put up four touchdowns last week. Okay, so he's thankful to have all of those options, but obviously he doesn't have Antonio Brown. Even so, it's a fairly easy schedule. So I don't think, you know, this, it's nothing to really freak out about if you're a Tampa fan, but you have to look at the schedule also fairly easily. You know, uh, their last six games at Falcons, Versus Bills, versus Saints, at Panthers, at Jets, versus Panthers. So it's a they could go five and one essentially in that that stretch of games. And with the NFC the way it is, you know you got to win those games. You got to win those games with Green Bay still succeeding, Arizona's getting healthier. Who knows if the Rams might turn it around? It's still very wide open. So Tampa's got to win these games. They've got to win these games. Tom Brady has to limit his mistakes which I, I think he can because he's 44 and he's won seven Super Bowls. I think he can right the ship. And the pass defense just has to be better. They've got to be better, especially at the cornerback position. We'll see what happens there for Tampa's upcoming slate of games. But speaking of the Packers, I think that was another game that stood out to me, was beating the Rams 36-28. I think they're cementing their spot as – an NFC favorite, you know, in the AFC, it's really wide open, but if in the NFC, I look at really two teams right now, I look at the Cardinals. And after last week, I look at the Packers because they were at Lambeau. They forced three turnovers against the Rams. And I think um, green Bay is a super bowl team. I think they are a super bowl team, despite not having Aaron Jones. I know he was a little limited uh, against LA last week, but he's going to be healthy. Defensively, the Packers look great. Aaron Rodgers, despite the toe injury, he's he's playing great. And I think for right now, I could see them as a Super Bowl team. 
Absolutely. But on the other side, for L.A., they're beating themselves. Similar to Indianapolis, they're beating themselves. They're now on a three-game losing streak after going 7-1. and one. As I said, three turnovers. And Matt Stafford's got to stop thinking it's Detroit, okay? This isn't the Detroit Lions. He's thrown five picks in the last three games. This is something we're not used to. Well, maybe we are, but not in L.A. You know, there's a reason why L.A. is going all in, why they uh, locked up Jalen Ramsey, why they got Vaughn Miller, why they picked up Odell Beckham. is not for games like this, okay? Because you've got guys like Devontae Adams and Debo Samuel lighting up Jalen Ramsey. you got this defense allowing almost 400 yards to Green Bay. And I think the problem is just that they're too one-dimensional. I understand it's a pass-heavy offense, but the load can't all be on Matthew Stafford. There's got to be more options and more touches for Daryl Henderson Jr., for Sony Michelle. They've got to get a run game going if L.A. wants to get in that upper echelon. Do I think they can still make the playoffs? Absolutely. It's going to have to be a wild card, though. I don't think they catch Arizona. Arizona's getting very healthy. And if L.A. does not fix all the problems that they have, Matt Stafford throwing interceptions, not having a run game, and defensively they're not shutting teams down, then there's no chance for Sean McVay and this crew to take that extra step and to be in the Super Bowl, which I predicted at first. I thought they would get into the Super Bowl. But the way this team is playing with Matthew Stafford, all of his turnovers, again, it's just with all these weapons, it, it's surprising, you know, I understand the schedule's been kind of tough, obviously, in Green Bay and then Tennessee and San Francisco has been their their three losses in a row. But I think this is a team that has Super Bowl potential if they get it all together. So Matthew Stafford is just going to have to limit his mistakes and put everything he's done with Detroit in the past. And who knows? Maybe that involves putting Van Jefferson more in the game or giving more touches to the running backs. We'll have to see what happens for LA because I'm still, I'm still holding out hope that they can turn this thing around, but a team I'm not holding out hope for is Seattle. I think the Monday night game was the last game during week 12 that stood out to me. And that was the Washington football team, keeping their hopes alive while crushing Seattle's winning 17 to 15. Now Washington is a very underrated team and you have to look in the standings they're slowly creeping up on Dallas. If the Cowboys continue to falter a little bit, Washington's going to be right there, okay? And this isn't a sexy team, okay? They just know how to get the job done. Look at last Monday night. They held the ball for over 41 minutes. They had over 370 yards of offense. Taylor Heineke, as I said, he's a folk hero for Washington right now. And the way that offense works with... Antonio Gibson getting over 100 yards on nearly 30 carries, getting a good offense going. Logan Thomas is healthy. Terry McLaurin's getting involved. Curtis Samuel is back from injury. This is a Washington team, if they get into the playoffs, can be a spoiler. I think they can be a spoiler, especially looking at the wild card sorts of things. You have a bunch of teams, San Francisco, Minnesota, Washington. They're all jockeying for that kind of, for uh, that wild card spot. So if they get in, they can make some noise, but obviously the headline has to be about the Seahawks. Okay. This era for Seattle is over. It's essentially over. I mean, the two biggest problems they have right now, running the ball and defense. Okay. You know how many yards they had against Washington? 
34. You know who was the leading rusher? Russell Wilson. You know what his stat line was? Two carries, 16 yards. 16 yards was your leading rusher, okay? This is the worst defense in football statistically. They allow almost 400 yards per game. And obviously, it's about Russell Wilson. I mean, he just doesn't look himself, which is, you know, it could be the finger injury. It could just be he's not motivated anymore. But the personnel in Seattle and around Seattle is not what it used to be. There's no Marshawn Lynch. There's no uh, Legion of Boom. You know, Pete Carroll can do all he can at the head coaching spot. But this team just cannot turn it around. And I think it's going to have to it's going to have to be a whole rebuild for Seattle come season's end. And that might involve maybe getting another quarterback out there. I don't know if Russell Wilson, you know, he has said, these are my trade options. Do with it what you will. I don't know if Wilson might, he might be a little more extra motivated to get out of Seattle because he's, he doesn't have that many years less. He's in his early thirties. So he's probably got maybe five years left maybe a little bit more before you know it's time for him to to hang up the cleats but i just think seattle is a total mess right now their dynasty is over it really it ended in the postseason last year when they got beat by the Rams. so i think seattle is something to really watch for not necessarily on the field but come the offseason you know maybe Pete carroll retires russell wilson gets more demanding about his trade but for the time being, rushing and defense. Those are the two biggest things Seattle has to fix. I don't know if they can fix it, though, because they don't have the personnel. But who knows if Week 13 will be a turnaround for them. But speaking of Week 13, let's now throw it over to a segment we recorded earlier in the day where we have a special guest. Pick our slate of games. Ladies and gentlemen, this is NFL Week 13 edition of Pick'em. So it's time once again for our NFL Pick'em segment, and we've got another special guest joining us. we got a fellow T-Hawk from T-Hawk Nation. She's also the owner of Modern Nature Hair, Skin, and Wellness. Alexandra Schaefer joins us on the show. Alex, thanks for taking the time for recording this. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited. Okay, so before we get into the NFL picks, let's talk about this business. This is essentially a startup business that you've started uh, while you were at the University of Vermont. Now you're at the University of Illinois doing some grad work. How'd you get started uh, in the business of uh, hair and skincare wellness products? Yeah, it's a super funny story. Um, I was definitely like a quarantine decision, but um, my mom told me she was like, she would do anything for me to like have taken better care of myself before I started the business. Like she would bring me to get my hair done and I would like refuse to go more than once a year. Um, you know, I used like one skincare item, maybe like it was a good day if I did. Um, and as soon as quarantine hit, I lost my job as a server. Um, after I graduated from University of Vermont, I took a gap year, was serving at a restaurant, um, and lost my job, was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? was just hanging out doing nothing and I really just needed something to do. Um, so a friend approached me about the opportunity and she was like, hey, like you can start this business. Um, this is how it works. And I said, okay, great. Like sign me up, let's get this done. Um, thinking that I'd maybe do it just for a few months, like wouldn't be super into it. 
Um, but I absolutely love doing it. I get to help people with their hair, their skincare, their wellness, um, building confidence, making income from their homes. Um, and it's a lot of fun, especially since I'm in veterinary school at University of Illinois. It is, which is very stressful. Um, it's kind of a good thing for me to like have on the side to get away from school sometimes. Yeah, I would agree with this podcast is essentially a quarantine idea too. start out some small and all of a sudden, boom, we're on episode 50. You're on episode 50. And it's been an absolute best. Um, talk about some of the products uh, that you have. Obviously, we'll promote um, some of the products at the end of the show and where they can find you. But what are some of the products that uh, your business and your uh, company uh, promotes? Yeah, absolutely. So specifically, we are vegan, cruelty-free. We're Leaping Bunny certified, um, which is like absolutely no animals in any part of the process. Um, it's anti-aging and damage reversing hair and skincare. So basically, you start with a shampoo, conditioner, and maybe a treatment product. Um, we have a lot of products that help people regrow their hair after hair loss. Um, or after balding, which is absolutely amazing. There are certain natural compounds that can be found on the earth uh, that will do that. And we've found those and we've incorporated them into a lot of our products, um, as well as all of our skincare is vegan, cruelty-free. It's all naturally based. Um, that also, I've seen some amazing skincare transformations. I've had one myself. Um, I had really bad mask acne and was able to get rid of it using these products. Um, we're always coming out with new things. We're always expanding, which is amazing. Um, the health and beauty industry is huge and just constantly growing. Um, we also have wellness products like uh, we just have greens. We have collagen that's vegan, which is really cool because collagen is usually animal parts um, and not vegan. Um, and so, yeah, that's just a few of the things, just kind of broad category of what we have. It's definitely a lot of great products. I've been able to follow you on Instagram. You've got some really great products. And plus, you're an animal lover. So it's it's very important to you that it's uh, all vegan-based. Is that correct? It is, yes. I mean, there are certain things that I believe animals should be used in research for and can be used in research for, which we won't get into that. It's definitely a controversial topic. Um, but the beauty industry should not be one of those things. So it has made me just I've just been so happy to have found a company that really aligns with my values um, in terms of that and giving back to the community. So yeah, definitely great to give back. So let's get right into these picks before we get into let's look at our standings where we are our good friend also a fellow team hawk Johnny Mansaridis had our first appearance 13 and three is what we're shooting for. We've got uh, Ben May right behind him at 10 and three. A lot of 500 records so far in the past couple of weeks, but we'll see what you can do Alex you ready to start. Sure. <laughs> I know you had talked about your boyfriend was going to help you out, but he didn't really help you out. So this is all on a lip. Yeah, I kind of completely forgot to ask. So uh, <laughs> we're here. We have no uh, idea what we're doing. <laughs> I've seen I've seen you at a couple sporting events. You were diehard Teoc Nation, so you know a little yeah. thing or two. Just like a few. Just a few <laughs> <things>. <laughs> so we'll start it off with the game tonight, Thursday night football between the Dallas Cowboys, New Orleans Saints. Dallas at seven and four, getting Amari Cooper back. Meanwhile, the Saints five and six. They got a new quarterback at the helm. Taysom Hill will start Thursday night, Alex, between Dallas at seven and four, New Orleans at five and six. What do you think? You know, I'm going to have to go with the Saints. I'm going to go with them. 
All right. That, that's a that's a good pick. I mean, it's going to be tough for New Orleans because Alvin Kamara is missing again, but Mark Ingram will be back. So it's going to be a tough matchup. I hate to disagree with you, but I think Dallas is almost at full strength. They don't have their head coach because he tested positive for COVID. So I could see where the pick might go to New Orleans. But I think for this week, it's going to be Dallas. I think offensively, they're at full strength. But who knows? Saints could pull off an upset. That Superdome gets loud. So could be a home field advantage for the Saints on that one. As we now move on mm-hmm. to the NFC South, Tampa Bay at eight and three, Atlanta five and six. Tom Brady, former Patriot, just squeaking out a high scoring win last week against Indianapolis. Meanwhile, the Falcons still trying to keep their season alive. What do you think between Tampa Bay and Atlanta? Oh, 100% Bucks. 100%. 100%. <laughs> All right. That, I, I think it's 100% too. I think uh, Tampa Bay is just too outmatched for Atlanta. Plus, you know, we're from New England. We got to stick with Tom Brady and, and all those Absolutely. guys, former Patriots. <laughs> we move on now to Arizona, 9-2, and two, Chicago, 4-7. and seven. Cardinals coming off a bye. We still don't know if Kyler Murray will be back, if DeAndre Hopkins will be back, but they go two to Chicago to Soldier Field. I see the orange eye right there. You're a resident of Illinois right now. Are you going to root for the hometown Bears? Uh, unfortunately, no, not in this situation. <laughs> uh, the record, clearly, the uh, game records are speaking for themselves. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, you've, you've probably, you know, being at the University of Illinois, you've run into a lot of Bears fans. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. A lot of my friends are fans. So let's hope uh, none of them listen to this episode and watch us both both pick Arizona at nine and two. They're getting healthier and healthier. Uh, I think this should be an easy one for the Cardinals as we go on to the Chargers and the Bengals. Chargers at six and five coming off a tough loss. They're still contending for a playoff spot. Meanwhile, Cincinnati seven and four Bengals looking good. Atop that AFC North, still chasing the Ravens. What do you think? I mean, the Bengals wear orange. Are you going to ride with them? Yeah. Also, they're what? They're Tigers, right? The Yeah, yeah. Bengals are Tigers, essentially. There you go. I'm going to have to go with that one. <laughs> of course. Fe- fellow Tigers, they they wear orange. This is going to be really close. It's it's hard to, to decide Cincinnati, whether they're good or bad, because they're so inconsistent. But I think for this week at home is is a big advantage for uh, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, those guys. Plus, defensively, they're getting better and better. I like the Bengals to to keep going. I agree with you there. As now we go to a matchup in the NFC North, the Minnesota Vikings, the Detroit Lions. This one, we'll see how far of a leap you take. Detroit, 0-10-1. They are winless on the year. Here comes Minnesota at 5-6. and six. Are you going to make the call that Detroit wins their first game of the year? You know, I don't think so. I'm, I'm going to go with the Vikings on this one. I feel like the Bengals, or not the Bengals, sorry. Detroit Lions have always just had it rough. Yeah, they, they stink a lot. <laughs> they, they, always, they always stink. Um, and I think Minnesota, they're still fighting for a playoff spot despite five and six. I think they come out firing. Unfortunately, it'll be the 11th loss of the year. Oh, 11 and one, then will be the record. And who knows? They could go winless the entire year. We'll have to see what happens there with Detroit. Sucks that they're at home, too, that they got to lose that game. As we go to New York and Miami, New York football giants, four and seven. Miami at five and seven. All of a sudden, the Dolphins, after losing seven straight, have now won four straight. 
and are right there on the cusp of the playoffs in the AFC. Do you think the Dolphins can keep up this hot streak or do the Giants upset them? You know, I think I'm going to go with the Dolphins on this one, um, especially since they are on a winning streak um, and the Giants are just, you know, they're from New York. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we got a little Massachusetts thing. You can't like anything from New York. I think the Giants are too much of a mess. Plus, the Dolphins with Tua Tagovailoa, he's getting back into the groove of things after being hurt. They look good. They look good, and I like the Dolphins in this one. But speaking of New York, the other New York team, the Jets, they're at home at 3-8, and eight, hosting the Philadelphia Eagles at 5-7. and seven. Again, Eagles still with playoff chances. They dropped the game last week to the Giants. Do they make it back-to-back losses against the New York teams? Nope. I think that uh, the Eagles will definitely surpass. Just just for a hatred of the Jets, or are they pretty good? I mean, the Jets are just just historically not great. <laughs> They're really just not. And I mean, Philadelphia, I don't follow football super-duper close. I don't watch every game every week. But, I mean, they did win the Super Bowl a few years ago. That and, is true. You know, so, and, like, yeah, no, they're not going to lose twice in a row. Yeah, I think I think for the Jets, it as you said, they're the Jets, and <laughs> I mean they 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 just barely squeaked by Houston, who's even a worse team. Who we'll talk about next, but I think Philly, the offense looks um, they'll get they'll get back in sync. I think Jalen Hurts is going to have a good game against the Jets. I'll take uh, Philly on that one. As then we go to the Indianapolis Colts, former uh, rival of the Patriots at six and six, taking on the aforementioned Houston team at two and nine Houston's at home Colts still fighting for that playoff spot. I said earlier, they are a good team. This should be an easy win, but let's see what you think Alex between Indianapolis and Houston. I actually was a Colts fan as a kid because I was obsessed with horses. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going to Clearly, they are a better win. Like they, they're winning more than uh, the yes. Texans. Six, six and six versus two and nine should should give you the obvious right yeah. there. And I, I totally forgot you're a big horse person. So let me see. Yeah, we got Denver later. We'll uh, we'll talk about them a little later. Uh, I agree. I agree. Indianapolis uh, should win this game. It'd be surprising if Houston pulls off the upset. Um, I'm gonna go with the Colts. I'm gonna ride with you right there. I pick Indianapolis to this one. As we go to Washington and Las Vegas. The football team right there at five and six. Meanwhile, the Raiders at six and five. Sounds like a real 50-50 matchup. Both teams really are trying to solidify their spot in their conference. What do you think between Washington and Las Vegas? Yeah, I feel like this is a tough one. Um, I Wow, yeah, this one's really rough, because especially because they're pretty closely matched in terms of wins and losses. Um, I'm going to have to go with Las Vegas. All right. You're, you're gambling in the city of gambling. I like that. Uh, yeah, yeah, of course. Um, I think Vegas has really surprised me with all of the, the mess. I don't know if you've heard, but it's John Gruden with the emails, Henry Ruggs with the fatal crash in the DUI. They've gone through so much and yet here they are still at six and five. I just think Washington's rolling too much. I think on the road, they go into Vegas and I think this is going to be an upset for Washington. I think they've got their team built on confidence. So that's why I think Washington will win this one. I think another team that needs confidence is LA though. The LA Rams at seven and four host the two and nine Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, let me tell you, I'm going to make this pick really quick. If the Rams don't win this game, that would be a shame. 
at two and nine. They're seven and four. That would be a big upset. What do you think? Is there is there an upset? Is Jacksonville going to win this one, or, or is it going to be LA? Jacksonville will not be winning. <laughs> uh, they will not. There's no way. LA Rams. Yeah, that this this don't even that that need that much time on it. It should be LA wide and away. As then we go to Baltimore and Pittsburgh. This one's going to be a little bit more tough. AFC North, Baltimore. I arguably think best team in the AFC. They travel to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's not looking that great at five, five and one. What do you think between the eight and three Ravens and the five, five and one Steelers? I feel like I'll go with the Ravens. They've been, I feel like in the past, they've been like you said, they've been really good. Um, I feel like they just haven't top, like hit the top always. So I feel like <laughs> if there's a year to do it, this might be it. Yeah, I, d- I definitely agree with you there that, you know, if you remember they won the Super Bowl in 2013. That's like the highest they went, but Joe Flacco was their quarterback. Um, I, I agree. This this should be an easy win, but you never know with these kind of divisional games uh, within the division. Baltimore and Pittsburgh always play each other tough. It could go either way, but I think I agree with you that Baltimore should uh, win this one uh, pretty easily, you know, looking at record-wise. As then we go to San Francisco and Seattle. I talked about uh, Seattle in our earlier segment. They look like a mess right now at three and eight. Of course, you remember Seattle in the Super Bowl against the Patriots. Russell Wilson, that Seattle team just haven't looked the same since that terrible interception, that terrible play call. What can San Francisco do at six and five? Can they beat them? Uh, Based on the fact that you're saying they're a mess. Absolutely. I do (laughs) love their rooms. If they were doing just a little better, I'd probably pick them. But uh, no, we won't go with them today. Yeah, San Francisco, they look good. Seattle, as I said, they're a mess. I think the uh, 49ers win this one on the road. As then we go to the Sunday night game between the Broncos and the Chiefs. I said Denver earlier, they're they're the Broncos. They're horses, but they have to oh, go yeah. on the they have to go on the road to Kansas City, seven and four. Are you gonna ride with your horses or does Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs win this one? You know, I'm feeling I'm feeling like the Chiefs for this one. Mm, I don't know what you're going like. against the horses. I know what's wrong with me, right? <laughs> you picked a horse. You picked the colt, so it, it's not That's all true. bad. So you you've got your horses there. I think the the horse, uh, pun intended, should be Kansas City on this one. They look good. They're at home. Plus Denver's kind of it's hard to get a read on them. So I'll pick Kansas City on that one. Yeah. And then we go to the Monday night game. This has got a big local impact. Patriots at Bills. AFC East on the line. Pats at eight and four of one six straight. Buffalo coming off a big Thanksgiving win against New Orleans last Thursday. They've had 11 days to prepare. What do you think between the, the homegrown Pats and the Buffalo Bills? Yikes. Based on what you just said, they've had Bills have had a break. Pats haven't. I mean, but the Pats are coming on this really great winning streak. I'm going to go with the Patriots because if I didn't, I'd feel awful about myself. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, the Bills seem like they, uh, they could pull through. This, yeah, th- I think this is going to be the game of the week. And, of course, if you're, if you're born in Massachusetts, if you're not a Patriots fan, that's, that's shocking. You know, <laughs> I bet you a lot of people at the at, uh, University of Illinois don't like that you're a Pats fan. They're probably like, oh, you're winning so much. Um, i think i think this is going to be close and i I hate to go against them but i think just at home the bills having all that prep i think that's the advantage and 
Unfortunately, the win streak stops at six. So I'm going to go, unfortunately, with the Bills to win this one. But I'll be happy if they lose, though. I'll be happy if the Patriots win. But just (laughs) instinctually, I feel like there's something there that says Buffalo, Buffalo, Buffalo. So that does it. That does it for our picks. Alex, thanks for making those picks. Uh, For those that can uh, check out your business, Modern Nature, Hair, Skin, Wellness, where can people go to buy these products or how can they follow you? Awesome. So my Instagram is at Pookiehead, which is P-O-O-K-I-H-E-A-D. It's been that. It's never going to change. Um, and there is a link in my bio uh, on my Instagram in which you can find my website. Um, the products are great because you like I will personally match you with what I think is best for you. Um, so there's a place where you can take a hair skincare quiz. Um, or you can always just message me on Instagram. Long live Pookie Head. That's never going to change. Alex Schaefer, thank, thank you so much for taking the time out, making these picks. Good luck on your NFL picks. Thank you. Have a good one. Special thanks again to Alex Schaefer. Great to see her take some time out to make some picks. But speaking of football, we move to the college game as the season, regular season, is wrapping up. We've got conference championships being decided this weekend. But that's not even the biggest headline coming out of college football. It's all these head coaching changes that people are talking about. You got Lincoln Riley leaving Oklahoma for USC, and you got Brian Kelly leaving the Irish where he's been from 14 or 13 or 14 years to go to LSU. Now let's start with Lincoln Riley because he said it over and over in press conferences. I'm not leaving Oklahoma. I'm not leaving Oklahoma. All of a sudden, boom, he goes to USC. And you know why? The almighty dollar. Okay. This is a guy probably in the last 10 years or so, maybe outside of Nick Saban has been the most successful and consistent head coach. One of the more consistent successful head coaches in college football you know you could put him third behind Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney after that Lincoln Riley is the best but listen to what USC and the Trojans and the the boosters are doing for Lincoln Riley his contract could be worth 110 million dollars USC is going to buy both his Norman homes and his they're going to buy him a home in LA for six million dollars and His family gets to use their private jet whenever they want, 24-7, okay? Not even an idiot would say no to that if you got that kind of money being thrown at you. And honestly, looking at Lincoln Riley, okay, Oklahoma is a lot different than USC. Oklahoma, you are very offensive-centric. We've heard Lincoln Riley as the quarterback whisperer or something like that. And we're seeing it where uh, one of the top recruits is joining Riley to USC after decommitting from Oklahoma. But West Coast football is a lot different than Oklahoma football, okay? You put up points in Oklahoma, and you don't play defense. USC, you got to have both things working, okay? That's why you see in Big 12 games, like 50 to 45 or something like that, okay? Lincoln Riley has to do – he's got to do it on the field. If he doesn't, this is a total waste. It's a total waste. 
does USC get back to the promised land immediately? Probably not. Probably not. It's going to take a couple of years. But I mean, if we're seeing Chip Kelly win with UCLA, I mean, Lincoln Riley can do it for USC. So I want to see what happens on the field come the 2022 season, if Lincoln Riley can actually do this. Similar, though, to Brian Kelly. The almighty dollar speaks, and he's looking for opportunities. Okay, 10 years, $95 million. And I got to tell you, this was a jaw dropper for me. I look at the notification on my phone, and my jaw literally drops because Brian Kelly has been the most successful coach in Notre Dame college football history. Okay, he's been there, like I said, 13, 14 years. He just surpassed the most wins for the Irish. And now here he is saying the best chance to win a national championship is at LSU. Let's just keep in mind, LSU is in the SEC. You got to contend with Georgia, Alabama, Florida, Tennessee, Kentucky, Missouri, Texas, and Oklahoma are going to join soon, okay? The best chance to win a national championship is at LSU? No, your best chance was at Notre Dame, but you blew it. You blew it every time you've gone to the college football playoff and you've got to the national championship. Alabama's kicking your butt. Clemson's kicking your butt, okay? I Do I agree with the move? Maybe, maybe. But again, I've got to see it on the field. How does, South, how does football in the South at LSU compare to football at Notre Dame? Two very different styles. I have no doubt Brian Kelly can at least get LSU to maybe over 500. Back to the national championship like Coach O, probably not because you still got Alabama, you still got Georgia, and all those teams I just mentioned. But, I mean, Brian Kelly, just what I'm hearing about, you know, this is an opportunity for him. I don't, I don't fault him for wanting to take that chance at LSU. But, I mean, in hearing what he did, he went to a players meeting that only lasted like 11 minutes. He sent out a text message and didn't even like offer questions you know it probably could have been handled a lot better but of course those are the headlines off the field let's talk about what's going on on the field and that is the conference championships leading to who will make that final four playoff and right now the top six goes georgia michigan alabama cincinnati those would be the four who qualify and then you've got oklahoma state and notre dame on the outside looking in now, my first question with these rankings is, why is Notre Dame still number six and Oklahoma State, okay? Oklahoma State, if they win, then they're essentially going to get in because, well, let me just break it down like this. Notre Dame is getting whipped for Brian Kelly leaving. Brian Kelly's leaving, okay? And Notre Dame's got no more games. So basically, the fate is in everyone else's hands. I, there are a lot of playoff scenarios that I'm looking at like this. If Georgia wins the SEC championship, Alabama's done. If uh, Alabama wins the SEC championship, both of them will get in. Okay. They'll probably put Michigan number one, probably Alabama two, and maybe Georgia sits at like three or four, something like that. But sticking with the SEC championship, I think, you know, I would favor Georgia slightly just because you have to look at last week and what a, what a game it was between Alabama and Auburn in the Iron Bowl. I mean, that four overtime game was incredible to watch. Incredible to watch. And I feel like Georgia's a slight favorite just because the energy for the Crimson Tide was spent last week in really keeping their season alive. So that's sort of where I, I favor Georgia. Georgia hasn't really had to squeak out as many games 
as Alabama had. You know, they just barely beat Florida along with the Iron Bowl last week. Georgia, though, does have to shut down Bryce Young, okay? They've got to continue to be one of those top teams in the nation. You look at them, they're basically top three in every single category, including uh, opponents' points per game and yards per game. That's why I sort of favor Georgia slightly, is just the energy from Alabama was wasted last week, and who knows what Georgia is going to do uh, for this upcoming week. But going from the SEC to Big Ten, Big Ten championship, do or die for Michigan because they finally got the monkey off their back. Jim Harbaugh got the monkey off when he beat Ohio state in the big house last week. And I feel like there's a new confidence for the big blue after fighting off those kind of demons. It is a tough matchup though, against Iowa. You look at what Iowa did last week against Nebraska, making that comeback. And obviously I will be rooting for him because of a family connection. Uh, my uncle is good friends with head coach Kirk Ferentz. So I'll definitely be rooting for them. I think, in a favorable matchup, Michigan has to score early and often because you have to basically play a full 60 minutes against this Hawkeye team. You saw it against Nebraska. They got down, I forget what it was, like maybe 21 to 6 or something like that. And then here comes Iowa just putting up points. They're blocking punts and stuff like that. That's where I see Michigan having to win this game is just continuing to score, score early, get those points against Iowa early on. You've got to have probably a three-possession lead at halftime in order to say, you know what, I feel comfortable against this Iowa team because they're a feisty group. This was an Iowa team that was number two in the nation at one point, so you got to watch out there. And then in the Big 12 championship, because first off, I'm going to ignore the AAC because I think Cincinnati is going to win that and they're going to get into the playoffs. Just like I said, they stay undefeated, they get in. The Big 12 championship, this is going to vault Oklahoma State into the playoff if they can win, okay? If the Cowboys win, they're in. But Baylor's a very tough team that I think is going to make it a close, high-scoring affair between these two. Because really, I don't even think Oklahoma State should be at number five anyway. It should be Notre Dame at number five. And then the Irish would get in if Alabama loses. That's how I sort of see the picture going at right now when you look at the top six. But Oklahoma State... Yeah, they beat Oklahoma, but Baylor is so tough. I, I don't really have any faith in Oklahoma State right now in pulling off a victory. And even if they do, I would still, I would still favor the Irish to, to get in. So there's a lot that can go on in college football right now, but there's a reason that's called Conference Championship Saturday. Once those conference championships are over, we will officially know the four teams who will be making it to the college football playoff. Now, when moving on, obviously the big sports story has been the MLB going into a lockout. It's official. It was official at midnight last night. MLB and the players union they're locked out and essentially they've got a couple of months to get this ready. They've got until I would say February 12th, which is when pitchers and catchers normally report for most teams. And then once you hit March, then it gets closer and closer. So hopefully there's motivation for the MLB to get this done and to end this lockout. But before then there were a ton of deals flying off the table in MLB free agency. And there's a couple of teams that I really wanted to talk about. The first one being the New York Mets. 
And again, they're showing themselves to be wanting to spend, spend, spend. Okay. The big prize obviously was Max Scherzer that they got three years, $130 million deal. Okay. And when you look at him paired up with Jacob deGrom, maybe the two deadliest, maybe the deadliest one, two punch in the major leagues right now. If you've got Max Scherzer and Jacob deGrom, two of maybe the best pitchers in the last three or four years. Okay. The only problem I see is just health. I mean, when you listen to Max Scherzer last, he was saying, oh, my arm was essentially dead. Jacob DeGrom, he was shut down with arm issues. And you also got to remember, Max Scherzer's 37, okay? Jacob DeGrom, he's had multiple arm problems. So are they going to be healthy enough, okay? That's why I think the Mets, you know, because pitching wasn't their problem. It wasn't really the biggest area to address because their offense was. I mean, they had the ninth best ERA in the MLBs. But their offense was horrible, okay? You didn't have anyone hitting, you know, over 300 right now, which is what the elite teams have. And I thought I thought Javi Baez was going to be the difference, but clearly it's not. That's why you had a guy like Starling Marte who hit over 300. You sure up third base with Eduardo Escobar, Marcana from Oakland, okay? The, I think the Mets, are they, they're making good moves, but I'm not fully sold on them just yet because like i said their two best starting pitchers that they have are dealing with arm issues and we found out last year with the mets that when jacob Degrom isn't in the rotation this team goes nowhere absolutely nowhere did they get better on offense yes would i call them the nl east favorites right now it depends on what atlanta does because freddie freeman's still on the market he could resign with atlanta Obviously, Atlanta are the defending champs. I see them as a wild card team at best right now. That would be my prediction right now for the New York Mets is because their top two pitchers are dealing with health in, health issues. You've got a steady bullpen, but your offense has to get better. Okay, so that's guys like Brandon Nimmo, Pete Alonso. All those guys have to hit the ball better, 10 times better. Otherwise, it's going to be another putrid year for the New York Mets, but maybe the next team that's spending just as crazy as the Mets are the Texas Rangers. Okay. They've already shored up their middle infield by committing $500 million to two guys, Marcus Semyon at second base and Corey Seager at shortstop. Okay. Semyon's got seven years, a buck 75 million on his deal. Corey Seager, 10 years, 325 million. Okay. You got to keep in mind, this team had the third worst record in the major leagues last year and haven't finished above 500 when they had the best record in the American League in 2017. Okay, their run differential in 2021 was minus 190. Minus 190. Okay, maybe they're not going to be the worst team in the American League anymore or close to that because I think it still goes to the Orioles. But they're not going to get above 500. They're not going to get above 500. This team from top to bottom was has been bad. And I just mean bad. Does Marcus Semyon and Corey Seager shore that up? No. No, it doesn't. Because honestly, I can't even name one other person from the Texas Rangers on that team. I can't. They traded Joey Gallo, who we're finding out is actually a good move because he just strikes out all the time. 
I don't see, I don't see Texas, their plan. I don't understand what the Rangers are trying to do in signing. You know, they, they got, I think maybe two of the top 10 best players on the market in semi and uh, Seager, but they're not going to turn this thing around. They're not okay. Defensively, they're going to get better. And maybe offensively, they go from a minus 190 to maybe in the, the double digits instead of the triple digits. I just don't understand what Texas is doing, just throwing out this kind of money and not divvying it up to other areas. You know, maybe they have a young team that no one really knows about. You know, we'll just have to see if the Rangers can get back onto the field and maybe get back that success. But speaking of a young team getting success, the Seattle Mariners, okay? I think they've got to be the biggest dark horse if there's a 2022 season. They've got to be the biggest dark horse heading into 2022 because listen to what they've done. They've traded for all-star Adam Frazier from San Diego, and they signed the reigning Cy Young award winner in the American League, Robbie Ray. Okay, five years, $115 million with an opt-out clause after year three. Okay, this Seattle team with a bunch of unknowns and a young guys won 90 games and just missed the playoffs during the final week of the MLB season, of the regular season, okay? Now, Seattle is banking on Robbie Ray continuing the pace where he led the AL in ERA, whip, strikeouts, went 13-7, and 2-8-4 ERA. They're hoping for that. And we saw after the Kendall Graveman, Abraham Toro trade, this Seattle team went on a tear, okay? Offensively, Adam Frazier helps out. A bunch, a bunch. And then you've got Robbie Ray shoring up a rotation as their ace. I mean, come on, this could be, I think Seattle will make the playoffs. I think I'm going to call it right here and there on Thursday, December 2nd, 2021, the Seattle Mariners will break their playoff drought. They'll get back into the playoffs. Ultimately, ALS, probably not. I think Houston is still the favorite. I know they might be losing Carlos Correa. But I still think Houston's the favorite in that division. Then Seattle will be right behind them. I think they'll get a wild card spot. I think Seattle breaks the skid. They break the skid and they make the playoffs because they won 90 games. They just missed the playoffs. Now they've got guys that everyone knows about and who are productive, very productive guys in Frazier and Ray. So we'll have to see what Seattle does. But of course, this is all pending. The MLB can get out of a lockout and get back to baseball on the field. There's still time to get a deal done, but you got to hope and pray that we see Major League Baseball in 2022. It's a staple of the show. It's our Let's Get Local segment of the week. And once again, we got to talk about all four major teams in the Boston area, starting with the Patriots as they continue their success, making it six straight wins and after beating Tennessee 36-13 at Gillette. And now they've got their toughest test of the season this Monday night when they travel to Buffalo to take on the bills. But before we get into that preview, let's talk about this Patriots team and the win they had against the Tennessee Titans. Okay. First off, when this team was two and four, 
who would have thought that they would make it six straight wins? Okay. Who would have thought it? I'd say probably about 30% of Patriots fans were thinking it, you know, obviously it was still early, but I, I wasn't ready for it at all. And it's all because of the defense. This defense continues their trademark of forcing mistakes. As I said last week, this Patriots team was going to have to make Ryan Tannehill win the game. And he clearly didn't. That's exactly what they did. They put the pressure on him. They forced four turnovers, three of them fumbles. Let's just keep that in mind. JC Jackson was incredible getting the pick off the Devin McCourty tip and then forcing the fumble after the long run by, I think it was Hilliard who had the fumble. I think run defense was a little suspect because while this team didn't have Derrick Henry, they had a bunch of guys, but they still allowed 270 yards on the ground. Could it be a one-off? Absolutely. But, you know, with a team like Buffalo who doesn't run the ball at all, if you're allowing those kind of numbers to Buffalo, then it's something to concern about. But again, we'll get into the Buffalo game a little bit. The rushing attack offensively wasn't as impactful in previous games. And I think credit is to the D-line on that for Tennessee. They only allowed 105. But again, Mac Jones just continues to shine, continues to prove himself to be the guy of the future, hopefully, for this Patriots team. I mean, he threw the most yards of his career at 310, throwing two touchdowns, 23 of 32. I mean, some of those throws look were, you know, he was off the mark, obviously. The one to Hunter Henry was overthrown. You know, he almost had a near pick six trying to go to Janu Smith. So he's still showing those rookie flashes, you know, where the mistakes could come. But he's still managing the game. And I think that's what's so important to Bill Belichick is that he just manages the game, doesn't throw it away. Did he get away with a few of those mistakes I just mentioned? Sure. But Mac Jones is going to be the difference maker for how far this Patriots team go. I really think it does. Now, getting into the Monday night game, I think this game could decide the AFC East. I really think it will. Now, the Bills do have an advantage as they've been preparing and haven't had a game since Thanksgiving. That's about 11 days. And I think the biggest thing is going to be the cornerback position, the cornerback position for both teams. Because you don't, for Buffalo, last week, Tredavious White, Torn ACL out for the year. More pressure. More, more pressure. J.C. Jackson's probably going to cover the toughest receiver all season, and that's Stephon Diggs. That's probably going to be the majority of his coverage. So does he step up and shut down Stephon Diggs in this game? I think it's going to be, as I said, toughest test of the season, and it could decide the AFC East. But defensively, this is where they get challenged, okay? They're going to have to force mistakes for Josh Allen because the Bills, A, they don't have a run game, and B, we've seen consistencies from Josh Allen where if he has to put the team on his back, it's hard for him to really carry the load. So can they force mistakes from Josh Allen? Sure, but it's got to be consistent. They've got to get pressure. They've got to limit him when he starts to scramble outside of the pocket. That means the linebacker position, Hightower, Van Noy, Jamie Collins if he's back. They've got to play spy on Josh Allen and don't let him beat you with his legs. That's really what you got to look at because this, like I said, Buffalo, no run game. Don't got to worry about rush defense at all. It's pass defense that's been really the thing I've wanted to see from this New England team defensively, how they're able to stop 
the passing game because this is probably the best quarterback they've faced since Dak Prescott. I think, you know, Justin Herbert, probably like top 10, but he's not anywhere close to that, like top five range, you know, Josh Allen, Dak Prescott, Tom Brady, they're in that top five for me. And Josh Allen probably is the highest one on that list from the quarterbacks they face so far. So does Josh Allen win this game for Buffalo? Okay. Defensively, this is the biggest test because I think offensively they can run and I think offensively they can get down on this Buffalo team, but there's a ton of, you know, points to look at for this uh, Patriots bills game. I think it's going to be very entertaining and it's going to be close. As I mentioned in our pick segment, entertaining and close, but we'll have to see what happens. Moving on though, onto the ice. It has just been bad news city for the Boston Bruins. It's been multiple bad news. You got Brad Marchand suspended for three games. Jake DeBrusque wants to trade and coach Bruce Cassidy is in the COVID protocols. Now, I, I got to see, and starting with uh, Brad Marchand, I got to see the video. In real time, that slew foot really looked 50-50 in real time, looking at it in the replays. I probably had to watch it about five or six times to, to really get an idea. And I do agree that it is a little bit of a slew foot. Probably was the right call for the NHL to suspend him because it did. It was dangerous. You know, intentional or not, I think it was probably the right call for the NHL. But then you then you have Martian. This is on top of the uh, at the end of the Rangers game with Artemi Panarin. He says, this is why no one likes you in Russia. Panarin throws his glove at Martian. And this is the leading scorer and overall so far, the best player for the Bruins so far. So losing him for three games is going to be crucial. Maybe not as crucial as Bruce Cassidy. Don't get me wrong. Cassie's a great coach in the NHL, probably top 10 in head coaching positions. But I think Marshan on the ice, you know, that means you're telling David Pasternak and Patrice Bergeron and Taylor Hall to basically pick up the slack. And have they done that this year? No, not at all. So they've got to find offense. And maybe this is sort of a wake-up call to the offense saying, hey, let's score some goals. Let's get some consistent numbers up there. And that will... Uh, help out the Bruins, maybe get a kickstart on offense and maybe get more players contributing. But Jake DeBrusque, this this is something that just baffles my mind, okay? I understand the ice time has been dropped on the power play, even though he's on the second line. (coughs) But his explanation of wanting a trade, because he wants a fresh start, okay? This is a dude who's still in his mid-20s, and he's saying he wants a fresh start. You're playing on the second line of the Boston freaking Bruins, okay? This is on you. If you're not contributing, don't blame everybody else. Maybe just play better. How about that, okay? You're on the second line, all right? How, how, better, how much better is that? You're in the top two lines of one of the most historic franchises in the NHL. And you're telling me you want to leave? What are you going to get a first line? Who's going to put you on the first line right now? Okay. No team is going to put him on the first line if he's looking for that kind of opportunity or if he's getting more ice time. Okay. I'm just blown away at what does DeBrusque really think that hive himself? Okay. Listen to the numbers that he has so far. Okay. 18 games played. 
six points. He's a minus two, three goals, three assists. And the time of ice he's getting per game is 14 minutes. Okay. Is that all he's looking at? Is he just looking at 14 minutes of ice time and saying, I want more? Bruce Cassidy is a situational coach. Okay. So maybe stop whining, stop crying, and play better, Jake DeBrusque. Okay. That's my hot take for the Bruins. I don't have any hot takes for the Celtics, though. I'm going to try and calm myself down as we get into Celtics talk. And it's a slight stall, I'm going to say, for right now. Watching that game against the Sixers, offense still struggling a little bit. I think they're getting much better defensively. And I think mostly it's just because they haven't had their full set of players for a consistent amount of time. We've seen Schroeder out of games, Rob Williams out. You know, we haven't seen a full rotation, but... There's one player I'm really enjoying watching right now, and that's Grant Williams. I love what I'm seeing out of Grant Williams right now. He's the only player in the NBA right now with the 50-40-90 shooting line. 50% from the field, 40% from three, 90% from the free throw line. And I think all of it is just confidence. He looks the most confident he's had in his whole career. You remember it took him in his rookie year, I want to say 15 games to – finally knocked down his first three-pointer. He's now consistent. He knows what kind of NBA player he is. And I think that's so important because when you have any kind of confidence, you're better on both ends of the floor. When you're shooting the ball well offensively, it makes you want to play better defensively because we know Williams on this team is one of the better defenders. And, you know, him playing alongside Al Horford, Robert Williams, and his canter freedom now. I think Grant Williams is going to be a big X factor for this Celtics team because I talked in weeks before about Tatum's offensive struggles, Jalen Brown back from injury, Dennis Schroeder getting more involved. If you've got a guy like Grant Williams, who's basically sort of that X factor, you know, I would say nine out of 10 teams would take Grant Williams on their team right now. And I don't know if it's going to continue for the, for the rest of the regular season, but I just like, I like what I'm seeing right now from uh, big Grant Williams. And also from a team standpoint, I like to see, you know, I love seeing this team rallying around Ennis Freedom, who's no longer Ennis Cantor. Cantor, Ennis is now a U.S. citizen. He changed his last name to Freedom. He's always still going to be Ennis Cantor to me, but it's just going to take some time to get used to calling him Ennis Freedom. Obviously, he's got Freedom on the back of his jersey. You got people calling him Ennis Freedom, you know, for a last name. You know, props to Ennis for doing that. And I love to see the team rallying around him. You saw in the pregame, I think it was before uh, the Raptors game, they all were huddling around and they said freedom on three. So I like seeing that from the Celtics team. The Celtics team looks like they're playing together and they're enjoying themselves. So we'll have to see what they do in this West Coast swing. It's going to be a real tough test. You've got Utah and Portland on a back-to-back. Then you've got both LA teams, the Lakers and the Clippers on a back-to-back. Then you've got the hottest team in the NBA with the Phoenix Suns. I think if you go 500, you go three and two, I think the confidence rises just a little bit more for the Celtics team, but we'll have to see. They got a nice win against Philly last week. I think offensively they got to get, you know, obviously you can't score 88 points a night, but if your defense is holding Philly, especially Joel Embiid, then you should be very proud of where you are right now. And then lastly, talking about the Red Sox, making a ton of moves before the lockout. I totally had a bunch of notes, you know, talking about the three starting pitchers, 
and all that. But how about the trade right before the lockout? Jackie Bradley Jr. is back in a trade with the Milwaukee Brewers. The Red Sox give up Hunter Renfro. Now, both sides benefit to improve their struggles, I think. Boston was one of the worst teams defensively in the outfield or in the field in general. And Milwaukee needed the offense. Renfro provides the offense and Bradley provides the defense. Now, here's where I question the move. And we're not going to know this until the MLB gets out of their lockout. But if Kyle Schwarber does not resign, this is a step backwards because everyone knows that Bradley is only brought in for his defense. Okay. He hit 163 last year. He barely, he didn't even hit 200. He didn't even hit 200. He lost his playing time in Milwaukee. And if Kyle Schwarber does not come back, because you have essentially your plan right there, you're going to put Kyle Schwarber in the outfield. Maybe you put Bradley out there, or maybe he's a bench warmer. But then you get Bobby Dahlbeck, as I mentioned, your everyday first baseman. Okay, so unless Kyle Schwarber re-signs with the Red Sox, this is going to be a step backwards, and this is going to be a bad move. Because I like Hunter Renfro. If this is a one-time thing, you know, who who knows if it's a one-time thing? But I liked Hunter Renfro in this lineup because he gives you offensive versatility. He basically gives you your one through seven as dangerous hitters. You know, I, I we'll have to see what happens on the field, but we'll have to see. It's good to see Bradley back. Obviously, he's a homegrown guy, won a world championship, has made highlight reel to highlight reel catch with the Red Sox. So does he return that? I think the defense isn't going to leave him but it's offensively where he's going to have to get better to really make this a valuable trade for Boston. But as I was going to, like I said, I was planning to talk about the three starting pitchers all signed to one-year deals by Bloom to replace Erod. Michael Walker, James Paxton, Rich Hill, okay? This is basically Bloom hoping that these guys can rediscover the magic that they had, okay? Michael Walker, uh, from August 28th to the end of the season, was 1-1 one one with a 288 ERA you know, bouncing from starts to the bullpen in seven appearances. James Paxton pitched well before he had Tommy John. And then Rich Hill was seven and eight, three, eight, six ERA, but he's 42 years old. And all of a sudden there's depth in the starting rotation. So this is going, these are good moves if they can rediscover their magic. Okay. You've also got depth in the starting rotation. So a decision is going to have to be made about Tanner Houck. Okay. Is he going to start? Is he going to be in the bullpen? You've really got to decide that because you know you've got Evaldi, Chris Sale, Nick Pavetta. You know you've got three right there. You're thinking with these four pitchers, two of them are definitely going into the bullpen, okay, between Waka, Paxton Hill, and Turner House. You've got to make that decision. You know, maybe for right now it's Waka and Hill, and then Houck is in the, the bullpen, or maybe two in front because Paxton, you know, I don't think he's going to be ready right at the start of 2022, but they're there are talks that he will pitch eventually during next year. Just a matter of early, late. We have no idea. But Alex Cora is going to have to make a decision about if, you know, who's going to be in the bullpen, who's going to be in the starting rotation. That's going to be the biggest thing that Alex Cora is going to have to decide, hopefully, if the MLB gets back to spring training. But, you know, this is the city of Boston. The expectations are high, and we'll see if all these teams can match the pressure.
Lastly, as we always do, we go to our LOL moment of the week. And obviously, the headline has been the MLB lockout. And oddly enough, it's been affecting everybody. And I mean everybody. I'll explain more. But this week's LOL moment of the week goes to... MLB.com. Yes, this is the first time a website has made it into the LOL moment of the week. And here's why. If you go to MLB.com, it's very different if you looked at it last night compared to this morning. Okay. There's no news about any players, any current players or team news are not shown at all. And their picture is circulating on Twitter where If you search for an MLB player, they're going to say the domain isn't found, which is, I was just, I get, I not only did I chuckle, but I was just baffled that the lockout has gone so far that even MLB.com is not going to work. Okay. We obviously know the standards of the lockouts, teams and players can't talk to each other, but I didn't think it would go this far to see the MLB's official website basically saying, if you want any news, it's talks about the CBA between the players and the teams. There's no individual stats. You got to go to like ESPN or any secondary website to get any kind of news. I mean, <laughs> I it's just every single MLB personality is affected by this. Okay. You got to keep that in mind. It's not just the players. It's not just the teams, but you've got, uh, team promoters, team announcers, PR, social media, all this kind of stuff. They're all affected by this lockout. You know, you can't make any announcements. You can't do any promotions, stuff like that. It's, it's baffling to see. And obviously it's, it's what happens when it comes to a lockout, but I'm just, I, I was blown away and I was laughing Because, you know, if you're a big MLB fan, you got to go to like ESPN or something like that to get your news. You know, you can't you can't go to MLB.com because they've actually taken away all of the news. You know, look at all the deals that happened in free agency. You want to find stuff about Max Scherzer signing with the Mets. You want to find something about the Red Sox making a trade right before the lockout. You're not going to find it on MLB.com because they've taken it away. So MLB.com for being in a lockout and removing everything that involves a team and a player. You've earned yourselves into this week's LOL moment of the week. So that'll do it for this edition of let me speak. Thank you everyone for tuning in. If you're watching us on YouTube, or listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. As always, make sure you follow our other pages on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. All you got to do is search Let Me Speak Podcast. And remember, as always, if you've got a point you got to get across, just let the whole world know. Shut up and let me speak.